Hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Project Next, the podcast that explores the future of technology in marketing and communications. I'm your host, Brian Martin. Today, we're talking about human-to-human interactions, traditionally called events, now known as experiences. We're here to discuss the trend of bringing people together in one place in an experience that is enhanced by technology in order to deepen a relationship with a brand. Today, we're talking with Chris Meyer, the CEO of George P. Johnson, the leading experiential marketing company in the world. Welcome, Chris. Thank you, Brian. It's a pleasure to be here. GPJ is well known for its work at consumer activations, auto shows, technology gatherings, physical places where people and brands come together. In a world gone completely digital, where everybody is immersed in their screens daily, how has that affected what GPJ is doing with live events? It's, it's a great question, Brian. Uh, as the world has gone more digital, as all consumers and people are addicted to their screens and the internet, what it's actually done is helped the world realize how important experiential is. You talked earlier about connecting humans, humans to humans, humans to brands. As we've gone through this digital transformation, you know, the pendulum swung really far digital as it relates to experiential and marketing in general. Now it's come back. People realize and brands realize that the best way to connect humans and to connect humans with brands is actually through experiences. So long story, but the answer to your question is it has put the focus back on experiential, back on human-to-human experiences. That's interesting. I heard an executive from Cisco recently say how for their internal sales gathering, they had gone from bringing people together to using Cisco technology to distribute it around the world. And while they were getting good marks for the innovation and the technology they were using to do that, they found it wasn't having as much success inspiring their salespeople. Yeah, you're exactly right. And Cisco and many other brands have tried that. And, uh, you know, before I give you that story, the world's really becoming hybrid. So it's not about necessarily replacing one or the other. It really is about how do they weave together. In that example of Cisco, and again, we've seen it with many other brands, when you have 20,000 people or whatever the number is in an arena, when you see the smiles on the face, when you uh, see the interactions that are happening at an experience, whether it's in a formal session or in a more social session, that power fuels these connections with with people and brands. And ultimately, you know, Cisco, as that example, they measure the business impact and the performance of their sales force when they did it completely virtual to when they do it in this hybrid environment. And it's it's much more effective from a business perspective. Uh, So you get both that energy and the increased human interactions and you see greater business impact. That's interesting because logically thinking, it would make sense that if you cut back on the travel costs of bringing people together and did it all virtually and allowed people to do it from the comfort of their home, that it would be a better experience in some way. Yeah, you would think that, but it's there are many brands, uh, Rodan and Fields is another one, right, where we're having the energy in one space. And if you think about it, the whole experiential and how it's measured is going through a big shift. And meaning that in the past, it was looked at more as an overhead function. And even the evaluation of budgets or the assessment of budgets were specific to 
an event or an activity, i.e. a P&L almost for that event and activity. Now, more mature brands like the ones we've been talking about are measuring the true business impact of those investments. And that's where if you can see an uptick in sales that's associated with these type of experiences for internal events, that's how it's now being measured. And we're absolutely seeing increased investment in these events as we shift the metric to be business impact as opposed to event impact, if you will. It's interesting because I follow Salesforce, and mm-hmm. they have an event called Dreamforce in San Francisco once a year that is one of the biggest that I know of. And GPJ works with them and produces that. And yet that seems to be the centerpiece of their marketing efforts. So it's such a different approach for Salesforce than almost any other company I've seen before. How did that come about? Yeah. You know, Salesforce, they absolutely, starting with Mark Benioff, their CEO, from day one of the company, they have used events and experiences at the core of not only their marketing strategy, but actually of their corporate strategy. Uh, Dreamforce is the largest project that they do. They do many others in their experiential portfolio. But to your point, they use Dreamforce to actually be the forcing function to drive the corporate strategy. And they do that in the ecosystem with their partners and, and others. But literally, it's, again, very different than the historical view of how to use experiences. And you're actually starting to see more brands follow that, where they're saying, hey, let's use something that is experiential, that allows us to focus resources from our organization to gather content, to gather product strategy, to influence our ecosystem. And from that, they then utilize that content that is created around it to drive their corporate strategy and their market strategy for the rest of the year. And and this trend is something that we're absolutely seeing, uh, which also validates that uh, brands like Salesforce are getting the return on those investments. Interesting. When you're faced with planning something like Dreamforce, which I think has 175,000 registered users or some incredible number. That's correct. How do you go about doing that? I mean, that's a very complex process, I would imagine. It is. You know, it's interesting as we see the percentage of marketing spend uh, shift from traditional activities into experiential with many brands. One of the things that we often talk about there is as you make the shift into experiential, you have to understand or brands have to understand at all levels, whether it's planners or whether it's executives, that there's a lot of moving parts to developing experiences, you know, as complex as Dreamforce is for Salesforce to uh, a 5,000-person internal sales meeting. Uh, or smaller. And and, uh, when you're thinking about the strategy and planning, the creative, the experience design, the ability to produce it, the social side, all of the tactical pieces of moving people and housing them, when you produce and design these experiences, it really is like building a city every time. You bring everything together as if you're building a city. And it is complex. Um, And quite frankly, it's the production side of it and the expertise on how you deliver on the design of that experience is critical, right? Because for us, we always say we can dream big, we can come up with amazing ideas, but if we can't create a close to flawless execution for the guests or the attendees, we will fail in delivering on those results. So it does require to have the right level of production expertise in-house or production partners, agencies like GPJ and others to make that happen. I heard a Salesforce executive recently talking about how they start the planning process by reviewing their corporate philosophy and and what they stand for first and then building it from there. Mm -hmm. That sounds like something that fits Salesforce where you really have such a clarity of what they stand for. Does every company work that way? 
Not quite. Some of them do. And you're right. I mean, they really are maniacal about following their corporate philosophy and their corporate goals and their corporate culture. And that does transcend down into every event. Dreamforce, the one you mentioned, you know, there's their objectives set out on an annual basis. I would say that we're absolutely seeing more maturation in kind of what we call the strategy and planning on the front end, where whether it's aligned to corporate goals or corporate cultures or whether it's something specific to unexperienced, brands are getting much better about really perfecting the brief and getting buy-in across their stakeholders. And that allows us as partners or, or internal support folks to follow along with an agreed-upon strategy. And when you're dealing with the complexity of some of these experiences, if you don't have that clarity in strategy, you will often go off the rails, which can degrade your ability to deliver on the objectives and also, quite frankly, possibly affect your budgets. A company, you mentioned Roden and Fields before, and I know that they do a lot bringing their sales associates together, but they have so many sales associates that they can only bring a fraction of them into any one space at any one time, and that they're now using content created at the event and before the event to reach the rest of them. That seems like a really interesting trend. Tell us a little more about that. Yeah. You know, Rodin Fields, as many of you know, is the fastest growing skincare company in the world and the number one skincare company in North America. And um, to your point, they have a unique business model because it's a multi-level marketing company that has several hundred thousand independent consultants. And we partner with them in the execution and design management of their uh, annual conference. And you know, it's approximately 20,000 people and it sells out in 20 minutes when we go live. So what that means is if we have 20,000 people there, you have several hundred thousand people who actually would like to be there and be part of that experience, right, for education, for motivation, for recognition. So on the first year when it sold out like that, uh, we were challenged by the client to come up with a solution that allowed us to reach that. And we've ended up with what they call RNF Virtual, which is now a year-round platform that allows us to leverage the content that comes out of conference, also creates a platform for ongoing communication, ongoing product launches, ongoing education. And what I see as a trend in general is the recognition now that some of these physical events need to also be looked at as the content generation studio, if you will, right? So when you change that perspective, which... Years ago, we used to think about an event and maybe you would broadcast or do a webcast off it, which would be maybe a single stream off of a keynote or something into a remote audience. Now it's about creating a broadcast experience that may exist for the length of that event or it may be something that's evergreen. And the maturation of that is turning it into more of television-like production that's associated with these live events. And that has an impact in how you design these events as well as how you produce them. But in the case we mentioned Dreamforce earlier, this year they've said that, you know, we had 170-some-odd thousand people registered for the live event, and there were 9-plus million people who viewed the content since Dreamforce in the last few weeks. So you can start to see the impact of that. Wow. And I've also heard somebody at Salesforce say that while it's a four-day gathering, their goal every year is to make it the most amazing four days you've ever spent anywhere. And I think that would put a lot of pressure on you because there were so many aspects of there's keynote sessions, there's breakout sessions, there's this grouping, there's that, there's this event at night. How do you put all those together and then make sure that there's concurrent activities for 175,000 people? Yeah, and it really doesn't matter on the size. And, and you mentioned Salesforce and many other brands do this. It really is designing the experience. 
you have to understand the different audiences and all the different components of an experience and actually think through every touch point of those experiences so that you are designing a journey that is going to provide value to the attendees and going to accomplish the goals of the host organization. And especially as you get into scale, like a Dreamforce as an example, where you really have to make it feel like it's for them and they're not lost in a sea of hundreds of thousands of other people. And, you know, in most cases, we will be working with creative leadership at the brand. Salesforce is a good example where they'll set kind of the overall tone and needs. And then we'll help partner with them to translate that into specific customer journeys or attendee journeys throughout the experience. And uh, it's an area that uh, has a lot of opportunity to improve in the overall environment of experiential. And given that the digital layer of an event is so palpable these days, like there are just digitals everywhere how are you integrating things that are specifically for human-to-human -human interaction versus the digital layer that allows them to do things outside of that? Yeah, it's interesting. Sometimes digital can be perceived and executed in more of a tactical way, right? Our perspective is it starts out in the beginning when we're doing the strategy and the experience design. You know, digital no longer is an add-on, right? It's, it's fluid into the actual experience design. You have to design it in such a way that you're considering physical and digital. And whether that is elements that are used at the physical event to support everything from wayfinding to personalized journeys to education to product demos, or whether like our road and fields example, it is creating a digital platform to reach hundreds of thousands of people, if not millions of people going forward. But the key is, you know, I tell our teams all the time, digital starts in the beginning when we're doing the strategy and the design, just like it would relevant to architecture or physical locations that you're designing within. And given all the data that you get from a digital encounter, how are you factoring that into a company's overall digital data system? It's a great question. There's a couple things around data. One, you obviously have to understand data privacy, right? That's as a caveat in anything that we design. Number two, when you do these experiences, I often say that we create a tornado of data, right? Because you have data coming through tactical things like registration. You collect data when we may be doing uh, tracking folks through RFID or beacons or other things like that. And we're also connecting, collecting data relevant to things like surveys or other interactions. So you have this tornado of data. Our job generally is to be able to effectively distill that data down into a format that can be fed into the client systems. The, every client, every brand has a different methodology on how they integrate data coming from the events. But what we're really seeing on our side is this evolution of saying, hey, let's really get the data distilled down so that it can be useful, relevant to the measurement and whatever other activities the client may have, as well as using that data to continue to enhance the attendee experience. We talked about the attendee journey earlier. For us to be able to kind of hyper-personalize the journey, whether it's down to an individual or a persona, we really need that data. And it could be, you know, anonymous data about that particular category of people. But without the data, it becomes much more difficult to design those experiences. The other thing I would say around data is that, you know, I'm often asked, what's driving this shift of spend into experiential? And, you know, clearly as we talked about, you know, the recognition of the importance of building human to human experiences and the, the value of that. But secondly, these new tools and the ability to effectively uh, leverage data is also driving this because uh, it allows better measurement of the impact. And number two, it allows us to enhance the experience. And particularly as we look at the younger uh, generation coming to these brand experiences, they have different expectations than prior generations did. 
And it's interesting because data is always, we're always looking for what's the proper attribution for a purchase. And in the car category, it's so much more complex. And yet you guys do so much in the automotive show business. And those are at much smaller scale than, say, a Dreamforce or a Roden and Fields. How are you using the auto show experience to drive sales? And how are you getting credit for your role in doing that? Yeah, and the automotive, um, it, it's not one answer to that because around the world, there's different uh, rules and regulations relevant to data and even the, the sales uh, ecosystem for automotive. But but to your point, you, we are seeing a lot of um, evolution of how to uh, capture and create and use data in the automotive experiences. And that may be uh, information that's voluntarily given that they get in return something like access to a ride and drive, right? And so that allows us to uh, track where there's interest, which ultimately feeds into the sales cycle, whether that goes into a, a dealer network or a franchise network or to a direct sales. Um, secondly is we're using new technologies that allow us to monitor, again, in, an, uh, in, in following data privacy rules, monitor flow of people. So we may not have specifics of individuals, but with iBeacons and be able to monitor cell phone activity, we can actually see where people, uh, where the hot spots are, where the cold spots are relevant to the journey, right? So that allows us, again, to develop better uh, brand experiences that will give more value back to the brand, as well as a better experience for the attendees. So at the end of the day, I think automotive Automotive still has uh, some runway relevant to how we're going to continue to use data. Clearly, some of the technology companies are ahead of it, but you're absolutely seeing um, data being used in those automotive experiences, again, both in uh, more of a, 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 a confidential way as well as a, a public way. So, Chris, I know GPJ does a ton of work in the auto space, and yet the auto industry is changing dramatically. What do you see next in that industry yeah, it's a great question, Brian, uh, particularly around auto shows. Obviously, there's been a lot of change and disruption in the automotive uh, business in general and, and the product strategy of a lot of these brands. What we're seeing is automotive shows transforming into more automotive experiences. So what that means is that the activation for the consumers or the press need to change. We've talked a lot today about all of the principles that are applied in designing uh, amazing experiences. And automotive, quite frankly, they haven't changed the show business a lot. And sometimes our team says it's time to put the show back in the auto show. And what I think that will do, you're seeing cities like Detroit, I should say, move from, even move the calendar from January to June so that we can do more of a festival-like activation that's indoor and outdoor. So again, I think the automotive brands are in a space that uh, we're going to see dramatic evolution in the experiences that they create that will allow consumers, quite frankly, to interact more with the vehicles, with the products, as opposed to being more in observation mode, which is traditional auto shows. And that is a, it's an interesting industry because there's a little bit of resistance to that. But once they see the transformation and the positive effects to changing the design of some of these experiences, they quickly morph into more current type experiences. That's interesting because I see them popping up more and more at things like CES or South by Southwest, venues that weren't typically considered auto show venues. Yeah. more consumer focus. Yeah, and if you think about I me, mean, just think about the buying consumer today, right? I mean, a lot of the research is done online. And so 
generally, we have to create experiences that align people with the brands and be able to put them inside these vehicles and experience as part of their purchase cycle. In the past, you know, when these auto shows were designed, there was no internet, right? And so if you wanted to go experience a vehicle, learn about it, you go look at it in an auto show. So it just needs to evolve like a lot of things out there in marketing. And again, going back to the question about digital impact, here's a great example where the digital tools and solutions that exist allow consumers to do a lot of their research uh, online. So that changes the strategy and the design of what these automotive experiences are. And quite frankly, I think the show business is just now catching up and you're starting to see that evolution in cities like Detroit. You're also starting to see, as you mentioned, evolution of some of the spend going to other non-traditional auto shows to accomplish those same objectives that we just talked about. And GPJ has clients in the B2B space like Salesforce and Cisco, where it's proven how well that works for marshalling their interest in, in one event. We're seeing more and more movement into consumer brands. And, and I know that you're working with Macy's and Facebook on a collaboration right now. Yep. Tell us what's happening in that consumer space and how you're capitalizing on it. Yeah. You know, I'd start with uh, the example of Facebook and Macy's. I mean, I call it experiential retail, right? You're seeing the a lot of the same principles we've applied in large-scale experiences now starting to be implemented into retail, whether that's into traditional stores like Macy's or whether that's into more innovative pop-up type retail. And again, that uh, it, it allows us to take the same principles of how we have designed experiences and journeys and use data to connect the consumer and the brand and also enhance that experience. So I actually think we're going to start to see more and more of this experiential approach relevant to connecting humans and brands, relevant to the use of data, and relevant to you know more formal experience designs in any type of experience. That could be, to your point, traditional B2B events, could be consumer activations. I also think it will transcend into retail. We're starting to see it into sports, into entertainment, even into hospitality and healthcare. So this concept of experiential and the principles behind it, I absolutely think it's going to be the next wave of creating better experiences in many, many places that we do. And you think about you know, the experience economy, which uh, original book was written, what, 10 or 15 years ago, uh, it's finally coming to fruition where you are seeing the experience economy. And again, I think it's, it's driven by the needs of the next generation, by some of the technology that exists today that didn't back then, as well as just the maturation of experiential as a marketing discipline. So interesting. Many of our listeners are from marketers and the CMO side of the business, but also a lot of our listeners are from the chief communication officer side of the business. And are you seeing people who are using experiences for internal galvanizing of the culture? Yeah. You know, experiences uh, internally, again, we've talked earlier about, you know, large-scale sales meetings, which are driving, you know, motivation, recognition, and sales uplift. But absolutely seeing experiences used internally at all sizes of brands. And sometimes that's as simple as creating a, you know, a, a formal town hall type experience that may be live, maybe virtual, maybe hybrid, that enables there to be both communication as well as collaboration, right? And more two-way conversations as opposed to the traditional one-way conversations. We're also seeing internal, you know, motivation events being put together that in the old days, maybe they were looked at as more as parties. Now they're actually creating events that educate and motivate. And then again, as we talked earlier, can we can see the impact of those, right? There's usually a general reason as opposed to just celebration and, and uh, more and more. So I think the experiential category from an internal perspective will continue to evolve as well. So it has evolved a lot in recent years. Where does it go next? 
It's a good question. I think that it's evolved in a lot of the brands that we've been talking about. And uh, we've been lucky enough to work with uh, some brands that we've talked about today that are very innovative and have executive stakeholders who understand and appreciate the power of experiential. I think the next, you know, 10 years or so in our in the experiential business is really just going to be about a continued shift of dollars into experiential and brands really starting to understand how to use it in their portfolio and how to do it right, right? Because I think, you know, I say often that um, to our teams, we finally are moving from the kids' table to the adults' table as it relates to marketing tactics. And what that also brings with it is adult responsibilities. And so I think the next 10 years will be really the the maturation of experiential in a much broader perspective. Of course, the brands that we work with, most of them are already there, but there are many brands, associations, governments, as we talked earlier, even designing experiences at the retail level or the hospitality level, uh, I think there's a tremendous runway just to take the more mature processes that exist today in a very small slice of corporate America or Fortune 500 companies to expand dramatically. And some of the technologies that are emerging, VR, AR, robotics, like are you seeing those used more and more in the experiential space? Absolutely. You know, like any new technology in the experiential space, it's it's always a lot of times the venture uses a great litmus uh, environment, right, for us to test things out. And, um, you know, VR is a a great example. Four four or five years ago, I got asked the question every time I spoke at an event, is VR going to replace events, right? And that that clearly hasn't happened for all the reasons we've talked about. (laughs) But what has happened is that AR, right, as it works where you are able to use that kind of technology that integrates in, you know, virtual reality and physical reality into more of an AR environment, that's where we see a tremendous growth in that particular piece. And again, as I said earlier on these technologies, I think sometimes the mistake that's made is we're bringing in pieces of technology because someone thinks it's cool or it fits. And it just needs to be more uh, woven into the fabric of the strategy or the brief as well as the experience design of whatever the activation may be. And if you do that, then, then we're picking and utilizing the right technology and generally always testing some of these new technologies as well. Chris, you've talked a lot about experiential and what's next in that space. What's next for you? (laughs) You know what? For me, I want to continue what we're doing here at GPJ, but also be an evangelist for our industry. As we've talked a lot about today, you know, this shift, as I said, moving from the kids' table to the adults' table, it's interesting to me. I spend a lot of time with universities, uh, with brands, uh, with press on how do we educate uh, marketers and educate the world on our field of business. Universities is a great example, right? Five years ago or so when I returned to GPJ, I spent some time with universities, and there was not one in the United States that was educating kids for experiential. And so we've spent some time with uh, universities like Cal Poly and Cornell and others, really first opening their eyes that this marketing tactic is important and that we have a skills gap uh, because whether it's trade schools or whether it's uh, hospitality schools or whether it's, you know, full universities, none of them really understood it. And so I think, you know, for me, I want to continue to be an evangelist for our industry, obviously for our agency, because I believe, you know, having been in this business 25 years or so, we're at the most amazing time ever. And interestingly enough, your question in the beginning of our podcast was, how is digital affecting us? Well, digital, we went so far digital as a society, and there's so much mistrust today on all things digital and some of the social things that it's forced the world to want to go back to human-to-human interactions, and that's what we're all about. Chris, that was fun. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed this. Thank you, Brian. Well, thank you for listening to this edition of Project Next. 
Until next time, I'm Brian Martin.